Okay, so um, this is, Amir Sashem, the uh, last shear in this um, course that we're doing about the masters of the oral tradition, Tere Shabal Um We were, we used, as we said many times, the Rambam, who gave us the basic, um, he, he boils it down to 40 generations, and 40 tzaddikim who were responsible for the transmission of the Torah from generation to generation from Moshe Rabbeinu until um, the ones who put together the Talmud Bavli, the Babylonian Talmud, which was Ravina and Rav Ashi. So we, over the weeks, have gone through all those 40 steps um, from Aleph being Moshe Rabbeinu until 40 being Rav Ashi, who again is the one who is really ending the Tkufa, the period called the, the period of the Amoraim. Right, we discussed that the sages of the Mishnah were called the Tanoim. Um, and the last one of the Tanoim really is, Re- is Rebbe, Rebbe Huda Hanasi, seventh generation from Hillel. And he was number 35 on the list, those who have all the numbers now. And Ravashi and Ravina was number, are number 40 on the list, and they're the ones who put together that um, encyclopedia of all Torah Shabal Peh, really, which was Talmud Bavli, the Babylonian Talmud. Now, it's Hashkach Pratis that we're talking about this today, because actually today's date on the calendar is very connected with the whole concept of Torah Shabal Peh. And why is that? Today is, or was, um, Rosh Chodesh, right? Rosh Chodesh Shvat. What's unique about Rosh Chodesh Shvat in the Torah? Is Rosh Chodesh Shvat is actually mentioned in the Torah. It's the day that Moshe Rabbeinu begins the fifth book of the Torah. Right? We know that the Torah is made up of five books, Chamisha Chum Torah. And the fifth one is said by Moshe Rabbeinu to the Jewish people over the last 37 days of his lifetime. Right? It's already the 40th year, the Jewish people are ready to go into Eretz Yisrael. And Moshe Rabbeinu is, going, is addressing them, and he's going to pass away right before they go into the land of Israel. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu passes away on the 7th of Adar. Um, and basically after that there's going to be a 30-day mourning period until the 7th of Nisan, then Hashem comes to Yehoshua and says, in three days we're going into Eretz Yisrael. And we go into Israel on the 10th of Nisan, right? 40 years after leaving Mitzrayim, 40 day, years minus five days after leaving Mitzrayim. So the last 37 days of Moshe Rabbeinu's life, he tells them Chumash Devar. Um, and that's why in Chum, that Chumash, he's repeating a lot of the things that they discussed over the last 40 years, and he's admonishing them, and he's encouraging them, and he's inspiring them. The entire Chumash is really Moshe Rabbeinu's farewell speech from him to the Jewish people. And it's actually written in differently than the first four Chumashim. Right? What's the practical difference between the way Chumash Devarim is written versus the first four? Right. For Chumash Devarim is first person, Moshe talking to the Jewish people. He says, and I spoke to Hashem, and Hashem told me, and I told you, and you came to me, and we went there. In Chumash Devarim, it's Moshe Rabbeinu talking first person to Klal Yisrael. He says, right, he says, Moshe is talking. He says, you came to me and you asked me and I asked Hashem and Hashem told me and I told you. So that's all exclusively in Chumash Devarim. In the first four Chumashim, it's not, Moshe is not the speaker. Moshe is not the one speaking. He says, Vaidabar Hashem el Moshe Lemar, and this happened and that happened. Moshe Rabbeinu is not the speaker, the writer in the first four Chumashim. In the fifth Chumash, Moshe Rabbeinu is talking. So, in fact, the Gemara says that the fifth Chumash, Moshe mipi'atzmai omra. 
Moshe was talking the fifth Chumash. Now, what does that mean? Is that is it not Hashem's words, the fifth Chumash? So, right away, Teisvis, the, the commentary say, Baruch HaKodesh, as every word is with Ruach HaKodesh. So what's the difference between the first four and the fifth? Everything is Ruach HaKodesh. Everything is coming from Hashem. Everything is through Moshe. What's the difference between the first four Chumashim and the fifth Chumash? Again, think about it. Everything that was taught to the Jewish people through Moshe Rabbeinu, the first four were also taught through Moshe, just as the fifth was. The first four are the word of Hashem and the fifth is the word of Hashem. So what's the difference between the first four Chumashim versus the fifth Chumash? So, so it's explained that in the fifth Chumash, Moshe Rabbeinu takes more of an active role in giving over the ideas from Hashem to, Moshe, Hashem to the Jewish people. In other words, and this is an important idea, Moshe Rabbeinu is called the Memutza, the intermediary giving from Hashem to us. Right? That's Moshe Rabbeinu's function. Moshe Rabbeinu says himself, I stand between Hashem and you to tell you the word of Hashem. What's the idea of an, why do you need an, why do you need an intermediary? Why do you need someone in the middle? When do you need someone in the middle? When, well, the, the gap is too big. Hashem is fire. Right? There's Hashem and there's a regular person. And there's a Moshe Rabbeinu who is able to bring from Hashem to the regular people. Right? What happens when Hashem talks to the Jewish people directly? <laughs> By Matan Torah, they all die. And the Jewish people come and tell Moshe, you talk. Right? You, be, you stand in between. Because Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, let me give a, a very, very simplistic um, metaphor. Um, something that, a, a simple vessel, a vessel that we use in, in that we might use in the kitchen is a, a funnel. What's a, what is a, fu- what's a funnel for? To guide. There's something that I'm taking from a big barrel and I want to put it into a little cup. I need a funnel. What's unique about the funnel? It's big at the top and it gets It's smaller. big on the top, so it's the size of the barrel. And it's small on the bottom, so it's the size of the cup. So what's the, think about it. What's a funnel? A funnel is something that on the top end is the, is the size of the big barrel or whatever. And can, can handle it. But on the bottom end, it's, it's also able to be small like the little cup. So the funnel is an intermediary. It's on the top end, it can relate to the giver. And on the bottom end, it can relate to the receiver. And that's what a Moshe Rabbeinu is. Moshe Rabbeinu is called in Tehillim, Tefillah LeMoshe, Ish HaElokim. He's a godly person. On the one hand, he's godly and spiritual, so he can relate to Hashem and hear from Hashem. On the other hand, he's a human being, so he can bring it down to the Jewish people. So he's a funnel that's able to receive, hear, listen, he can spend 40 days in heaven and not eat and not drink and not sleep, so he has the spiritual type of existence. And at the same way, he's able to bring it down to people because he's a human being. And that's Moshe Rabbeinu's function. It's still hard to comprehend that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Which aspect? I mean, well, the mm-hmm. fact that he's human and he was able to see Hashem and still, you know, be subhuman in a sense, like you said, and fast for right? So it's yeah. It's hard for, for us to uh, to comprehend that, which is why we need the funnel because we're on we're on the bottom maybe, end. Maybe, we, I don't know if I should say this, but maybe it's a little easier for us because of the Rebbe. So do you keep, yeah. that, that's the kind. I'm, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting that's I'm, this is all leading <laughs> into that. 
But but it's true. I mean, it's true. It, it is true that it's hard to comprehend. It's true that that's what the concept of tzaddikim are, that they're spiritual and holy and not as limited as regular people. On the other hand, they're people. They're human beings. They're born to a father and mother, and that's why they were able to sort of sort of speak straddle this difference from the godly to the human. So so Moshe Rabbeinu is the funnel. But if you think about it, we'll take this one step further. What's the difference between the funnel? What's the difference between a funnel and let's say you have a great brilliant teacher, a Rebbe, teaching deep things, and then someone who's taking those ideas and giving it over to children. Right? You have, you have one, someone, you want, to, you want to have someone who's going to give over a deep idea to a child. So you need, again, a good teacher who can grasp the deeper concept, work it over, say it over in the right words, and give it over in a simplified form to a child. So is that teacher doing the same thing as a funnel? Let's think about it. The teacher was taking the deep idea and giving it over to the child. It's really very similar to the funnel. Taking from the big area, breaking it down lower for the small area. Right? Am I being clear? But what's the difference? What's the difference between the funnel's function and that teacher's function? The funnel doesn't do anything to the water. It just makes it narrower and brings it down. That teacher thought it over and gave it over in the teacher's words to the child. Right? That is the difference between the first four Chumashim and the book of Devarim. In the first four, Moshe was just a funnel. Hashem was sort of talking straight through Moshe. So still through him, and he was giving it to them and making it something that humans can, can, can handle. But in the fifth book, in the book of Devarim, which starts today in Rosh Chodesh Shvat, Moshe takes the word of Hashem, understands it, and gives it over to the Yidin, so to speak, using his words. And that's why the language is different. In the fifth, in the fifth book, Moshe is talking to Klal Yisrael. It's all Hashem's words. It's all Moshe acting as an intermediary, giving over Hashem's words. But in the first four Chumash, Hashem is talking directly through him. And in the fifth Chumash, Moshe is already understanding it and giving it over to Klal Yisrael, using his mind, his mouth, his way of speaking. Why the change? What would happen today in Rosh Chodesh Shvat? Why didn't, you know, you had the first four Chumashim, and today starts the fifth Chumash. Why the change? Because the fifth Chumash is going to take the Jews in Territory Yisrael, and now there's, Moshe is going to pass away, there's going to be Yoshua, there's going to be Tzaddikim throughout the generations teaching Torah, teaching Hashem's wisdom, but coming from the minds and the hearts and the mouths of the Tzaddikim. The Torah Shabbat of the generations. So really, Chumash Devarim is the forerunner for all of Torah Shabbat It's Torah Shabbat It's part of the five books of Moshe, but it's already where there is a beginning of the tzaddik playing a role in the transmission of the Torah. You understand? So that, that started today. Chumash Devarim is the first time when you had a tzaddik like Moshe Rabbeinu, and he's already playing a role, so to speak in the transmission of Hashem's wisdom to us. And after Devarim, it goes to the Nevi'im. And the Nevi'im were not on the same level as Moshe Rabbeinu, but it was still the word of Hashem. So it's a, a, another step in the transmission of Torah through Tzaddikim. After the Nevi'im, we had the Tanoim. And we've gone through over the last over eight weeks or so, all the steps of as the Torah is traveling. So the common denominator of all the steps is that it's ultimately Hashem's wisdom. It's Hashem's wisdom coming through his tzaddikim. In the highest form, it's in the first four books of the Torah. And the next step, it's in the fifth book of Chumash. 
Later it's through the Nevi'im, through Yeshua, there's the earlier Nevi'im, and then there's the later Nevi'im, and later there's the Anshik Nesadela, and then there's the Tanaim, and then there's the Amiroim, until the Gemara where we're holding. And, but of course it didn't finish there. That's the idea of the Tzaddikim throughout the generations. Right? After the Gemara, we still have um, the Rishonim, the great uh, the Rambam and Rashi and the Ramban and the Rashba. That's an entire era of Rishonim. Maybe we'll have some classes on that. Afterward, we have the great Achreinim, whether it's the Shulchan Aruch or Yosef Cairo. Did you speak about the Zugos? We spoke about the Zugos, yeah. Before the Tanaim? The Zugos were the earliest Tanaim. It was before Hillel. Hillel, Hillel and Shammai were the last of the Zugos. So Hillel, which starts the Hillel dynasty, was the last of the Zugos. There's five sets of Zugos. It's somewhere there in class number three, maybe, or whatever it was. We went, we went through the Zugos. Check the right? So, Shemineber and you know Rivka going, you know, and ones and like, like, what were they studying? So, what, you know, what is the difference in the transmission of what they were learning and, you know, all those other, you know, Yaakov, all the other, other Okay, that's a great question. I mean, great Yaakov question. said to Hillam, Right. All, said to Hillam, you know, before, right, all, all Torah, before Matan Torah, is a whole different story. That's just Ruach HaKodesh. We had great holy people, and they had a certain divine inspiration, and were able to know certain things that would be, and they studied in that way. But it wasn't the official, so to speak, Torah, because Torah wasn't given yet. They weren't yet obligated in any mitzvahs. Um, although it says that Avram fulfilled the mitzvahs, and Yitzchak fulfilled the mitzvahs, and Yaakov fulfilled the mitzvahs, and Yosef we know fulfilled, some of the mitzvahs at least we know. Um, but that was something that they had accepted upon themselves to do, it wasn't obligatory. No part of Torah was obligatory before Matan Torah. And it also wasn't like, even if a person was Jewish, it doesn't mean his children had to be Jewish necessarily before Matan Torah because everything was just something in the future that because they had great souls, they had a certain level of Ruach HaKadosh to be able to see it and experience it. But it wasn't the same Torah that was given to us by Moshe and Harsinai. So anything that we've been talking about really started at Harsinai and that's where the real transmission of Torah begins. Torah as a concept is around even before the creation of the world. Right? Um, the Rebbe would oftentimes quote the Medrash that says that the Torah was the blueprints with which Hashem created the world. So Torah was around and therefore great tzaddikim like Shem and Aver and Avram, Yitzchak and Yaakov and Adam and Noach were able to see in, with their Ruach HaKodesh parts and areas of Torah. But that's not Torah as we know it which starts at Matan Torah, the giving of Torah. That's... Yeah, that's the truth. That's the truth. Okay, having said that, I did want to look a little bit more at a few great tzaddikim of in the time era that we were discussing. So again, we already did the official name of every generation, and we went through the um, the primary um, tzaddikim who were responsible for the transmission, as the Rambam gives it to us. However, there are so many other tzaddikim in those times. Um, that are discussed in, in the Gemara and Medrashim and so on. And some of them have very beautiful stories and very powerful lessons to teach us. So I wanted to focus on a few of them tonight, and especially on some of the great lessons that we see from them and in their tremendous devotion to teaching Torah. Because ultimately what's, what was the greatest about the Jewish leaders from the beginning all the way down is their devotion to Klal Yisrael more so than their own great, greatness and holiness and genius, but was their devotion to the cloud. 
And there were, there were always some tzaddikim that were very great and holy for themselves on their own, but when we talk about the transmission of Torah, what's more important than greatness and holiness on their own is their, um, is their devotion, their devotion as teachers of Klal Yisrael. And that's the point that the Rebbe made so many times that the greatness of the tzaddikim ultimately was in their devotion to the Klal more than their own individual greatness. Um, the Gemara says, I'll just conclude this part with one interesting story about a certain great um, Amora. His name was Rabbi Preda. And the Gemara says a, a, a story that's about Rabbi Preda that's, that's, that's more beyond fascinating. It says he was a great Torah teacher, but what he was especially great with was that he was the most patient person possible. When he would teach, he would never tire of explaining and explaining again, explaining again. And the Gemara tells us that he had one disciple who was very, very, very slow. And it's just like impossible. And in fact, Rafael with infinite patience would explain it to him once, and then he would teach it to him again. And, then, and so typically, he would te- it would take him 400 times oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> to, to really explain to him something in a way that he was able to get. And it says that one day, he was, Rafael had to go somewhere. I don't know what it was. And he told his Talmud, you know, he says, please try today to concentrate. <laughs> Let's see if we can do this a little quicker. Says, but the Talmud, the disciple, because he felt the pressure, see, even after 400 times, he knew nothing. Because he was too pressured. His rabbi told him he has to go somewhere. So Rupreda says, it's already 400 times. Usually by now, you know, we're getting somewhere. He says, yeah, but you put pressure on me. I couldn't. So Rupreda says, you have nothing to worry about. I'm not leaving here until you're perfectly comfortable that you understand. And he says, he explained it to him another 400 times. And then he understood so when that happened, a heavenly voice came, came forth and he says, Rabbi Preda, because you had such patience with my children, because you, they're such a teacher, then I, you have, I want to give you a gift. The heavenly voice says, and the, the gift, you have one of two choices. Either that you live for 400 years, or that all the people in your generation will be to, to whatever punishments that they need, you'll, you'll cover for them. So of course he chose that one, the second one, to give everyone Elam Haba. The Gemara says, but ultimately both were fulfilled by him. He lived 400 years and he had Elam Haba. So that's the only person that the Gemara says such a thing about, that he given such a bracha, which is obviously totally supernatural. But um, it says it's about this Rabbi Preda. And he's a symbol. Now, I, you know, I, I don't... It, it, well, time, but he's definitely mentioned in the Gemara, but based on his longevity, it's not clear when he was born. He may have started out in the times of the Tanoim, we don't know. It's, un, it's unclear. It's unclear when exactly he born, when he died. Um, but he uh, definitely, this is not, you know, as, especially as a teacher, I don't wish this on any teacher to have a student that you have to teach only 400 times. But the message, the message is very clear, and that is that when it comes to Torah, the greatness in Torah is the devotion to others and to teach it to others. And that's something that I want to see tonight by looking again at a few great tzaddikim. Are these tzaddikim that you're talking about during the Tanoim? Tanoim or Amiroim, depending on who I'm going to talk about. So, um, we talked um, quite a bit about Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. And he's this very important name in Teresh because he's the one who began the concept of writing Teresh As we discussed uh, back wherever at that point, that Teresh was transmitted only orally. And Rabbi Yehuda Anasi is the one who wrote the Mishnah, the first book of the oral tradition. Now, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi had a number of great Talmidim, 
a number of great disciples and tzaddikim who carried on his teachings after he passed away. Um, one of them, one of them was Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. Now, interestingly, where might we know the name Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi from? So we we say throughout the summer months, Pirkei Avos, right? Pirkei Avos is how many chapters? So six. But here's where it gets a little bit tricky. Really, it's five. Right, because the last one's the last one is an add-on, uh-huh. right? The first, really, the tra- the tractate of Pirkei Avos in Mishnah is only five chapters long. The sixth chapter is from what's called Brisa. What is Brisa? So when Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi wrote the Mishnah, the six books of the Mishnah, as I said, he began the concept of writing Torah Shabbal Peh, but immediately other disciples and colleagues of his also started writing. Because as soon as he gave the heter, as soon as he said, okay, from now on it's okay to write Torah, there's so much to write. So as Rabbi Yudha Anasi wrote the Mishnah, and that's the most authoritative book, but others of the Tanaim wrote what's called the Tosefta, or the Brisa, or the Sifri, or the Sifra. All of this was written in more or less the same period of time. Um, in the time of Rabbi Yudha Anasi, which is about, let's see, close to 1900 years ago. So all of these books were written. And the Talmud, the Gemara, discusses all of them, the Brisa and the Tosefta, and, and always comparing one to the other and debating and so on and so forth. So the Mishnah was six chapters, and the five chapters, the Mishnah pick up was five chapters, and then they added one chapter of Brisa. And the, and the reason... Pirkei Avos is Mishnah, Shisha Sidra Mishnah, I'm confused. Right. Pirkei Avos is one tractate in the Shisha Sidra Mishnah. Or Nezikin. It's in Nezikin. Nezikin. As every one of the six orders of Mishnah has a number of Masechtos in them. Okay, it was confusing. You said five prakim of Perkeyavos, but right. really there's six books of There's Mishnah. six books of Mishnah. Right. One of the books of Mishnah is the tractate of Nizikin. And in Nizikin, there's, there's many tractates. One of them is Avis. Avis is five prakim. Okay. And then they added one perik of Brisa for reasons that I'm not going to get into now. So in the sixth perik of Perkeyavos, we have a Mishnah by Rabbi Yeshua, a Brisa by Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. Um, and he was next generation after Rabbi, who's a, a disciple of Rabbi, um, and a tremendous tzaddik. The Gemara tells us tremendous things about Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. So I brought along some Gemara, so I'm not going to read inside in Aramaic, but I'm going to use that to, um, to, to share with you a little bit. I'm sorry, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's Reb Tarfan. That's Reb Tarfan, who is a who is a chaver of Rabbi Akiva. So that's a, a couple of generations before that. Um, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, it says about him that he, like following along the same idea that I was talking about Reb Preda, he would learn Torah with everyone. He saw himself that was his mission to teach and to learn. So it talks here about certain types of sicknesses that were very very contagious. That's something that in all generations you have certain sicknesses. And there were certain people that were very contagious, so nobody would really come close to them, including the Torah teachers, because they were, they were, they were ill. You want to talk about Bali Ras on a different patch of le- t- types of, types of leprosies. So it says, it talks about the different tzaddikim of the time that they didn't, wouldn't go near such people. But it says, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, he would bring them close to him 
and learn Torah with them. He says, if it comes to teaching Torah, he says, that's my mission. And I rely on the schus of the Torah, that the Torah will save me. That was the greatness of Rishul. Even amongst all the other Torah teachers of the time, it says he would bring them close to him, and he would study with them, learn with them, and teach them, regardless of their situation. Now, I'm not saying that this is a, uh, something that everyone has to follow, but it says this tzaddik was at that level that he, was, that he did that. He didn't look at anything when it came to teaching Torah. He even needed he put, he put himself <laughs> in dangerous way. Then the Gemara says, very nice, he says, when it was time for him to pass away, Rabbi Shurab and Levi, so it says, the, he saw, he was actually able to see the Malach HaMavas coming to him. Right? Most of us don't, you know, see, we shouldn't see him. But Rabbi Shua Ben Levi saw the Malach HaMavas and he says, come. He invited him in for coffee or something. I don't know, for coffee. But he says, he says, you know, before you have to do your business, why don't you show me the place where I'm headed? I would like to see my place in Gan Eden, where I'll go, you know, ultimately after I pass away. So the Malach HaMavas said, fine. He took him there. And then he says, and again, I'm not sure how much is supposed to be taken exactly literally, but the Malach Mavis has some type of a knife with which he does his job. I assume some type of a spiritual knife. He says, you know, hand me the knife. Rabbi Shua Levi says, while you're showing this to me, I don't want to be nervous. So he gave him the knife. He came and he showed him his place in Gan Eden. So he says, Rabbi Shua Levi jumped into Gan Eden, physically, as a person. And he was from the people, it says, that entered Gan Eden physically without passing away, without dying. <laughs> So he says, he jumped into Gan to, to Eden. So the Malach HaMavas grabs him by the garment and says, no, this is not what we made up. I was just showing it to you. You have to come out. So he says, I'm not coming out. And he says, I'm making a shvua. I'm making an oath that I'm not leaving this place. That's what Rishul Levi says. And the Malach HaMavas says, listen, I have a job to do. <laughs> I was sent down to take your life. I can't take your life from, from you here. We have to go back to the world. So, and Rishul Levi is not budging. So the, the case came up to Hashem himself. And Hashem said that he, being that he undertook an oath that he's not going to leave Gan Eden, so we have to see if ever in his lifetime he didn't fulfill something that he said. If any time during his life, from when he's a child, he ever said he's going to do something or not because he didn't fulfill it, then he has to transgress his oath and leave Gan Eden. But if his entire lifetime, he never, um, he never went against the word, then if he said he's not going to leave, we can't make him leave. So they took out the books, they took out the videos, they took everything out, and they went through his life they, with the, you know, every, every single day, and throughout his life, they were never able to find that he ever didn't do what he said he would do, even as a child, and therefore Hashem says, if so, then he has to stay in Ganeid. So it says about him that he's one of the few people in history that it says that Nichnesu chai l'ganeidim. There's different medrashim about different people, there's Sarah Pasasher, others... But Rabbi Shua is one of those who had Bastia. that schus. Basti Baspari, it says. It says about a few people that had that schus, and he was one of them because of this story. Eliyahu and Nabi went up alive. So, Eliyahu and Nabi went up alive. Eliyahu and Nabi went up alive. Yes. Anyhow, so uh, I'll, I'll continue here a moment. It's a fascinating story. It says, so now that he's in Gan Eden, so he was going before him and saying, everyone make room for the son of Levi who's coming. He says, he came and he saw Reb Shimon Bar Yuchai. So Reb Shimon Bar Yuchai said, um, are you the son of Levi that I heard of? So he says, yes. So he says, 
was there a rainbow in your in your time? Because as the time of the greatest tzaddikim were able to protect the entire Jewish people, so Rav Shimon Bar Yichai, who was meeting now Rav Shimon Levi, Rav Shimon Levi passed away many years earlier. So was there a rainbow in your time? So Rav Shimon Levi says yes. So Rav Shimon Levi, then you're not the Rav Levi that I'm thinking of, because the one that I know of, there was no rainbow in his time. The Gemara says that the Amos says there was no rainbow in his time. But he was humble. He didn't want to like boast to Rav Shimon Bar Yechai. That's what he said. I think there was, but really he was on that madrega like Rav Shimon Bar Yechai, and there was no rainbow in his time. So anyway, the, I'll, I'll finish with this piece. But later, the Gemara talks about another tzaddik in the next generation that heard about this story, and he said, "You know, this is a good, this is a good idea." So when when it was time for him to die, and he also saw the Malach Malvus, he says, "Oh, take me to Gan Eden," and he was going to do the same thing. Um, who was it? <laughs> I wonder if the Malachim Mavis is clueless. Rav Bar Papa, a later tzaddik. So he asks him, so the Malachim Mavis says, what, you, you think you're going to do uh, what Rav Yeshua Ben Levi did? It's not going to work for you. So he says, why not? I didn't learn Torah less than him. I didn't do mitzvahs less than him. So you know what the Malachim Mavis says? Yeah, but did you go learn Torah with contagious people like him? <laughs> that you didn't do. Therefore, you're not on that madrega to be able to jump into Gan Eden alive. That's what the Talmud has told us later. Amira. You learned as much as him. You davened as much as him. But he says, did you learn Torah with those people who had that type of a sickness? That well, far you didn't message? go. The message is how far the devotion has to go, has to be to help another year. To help another year. Listen, well, the whole concept that the Rebbe said about uh, going out to places where there isn't Yiddishkeit and where there isn't yeshivas and where kids have to you know, study in an online school or something like that. It's a, it's a mysterious nefesh. You're, it might not be to a contagious person physically, but definitely spiritually you're putting yourself into danger. And the, the idea of the real mysterious nefesh to help and to teach another person and to be there for another person, even when it's extremely difficult and sometimes dangerous, that's what we're learning from this from this Sadiq Rabbi Shua ben Levi. So that is some of the stories of this Rabbi Shua ben Levi. Um, another very famous story about Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, and that's in a different tractate, different Masechta, and that is the story of Rabbi Yeshua. Some interesting oh, stuff in is that Mashiach? Yeah. Mashiach <laughs> yeah. These are all, these are all different Gemaras. Just now, I was reading the first Gemara I was reading was tractate Ksuvos, and it was on Ayin Zayin, page eighty-seven. Is that Ayin Mashiach? Yes. Oh, okay. The other the other famous story, and I'll I'll conclude with this story about this tzaddik Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi was when he met Mashiach. And that is a Gemara in Tractus Sanhedrin, on Sadiq Ches, on 98, page 98 in, in, um, in Sanhedrin. And it says, ah, so we'll see. So it says that Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, give me a moment, I have to find it over here. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, well, he met Eliyahu Anavi when he was by Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai's gravesite. Again, was Rav Shimon Barichai, these Sadiqim. Yeah, Rav Shimon Barichai no, Rav went to Miron, to Rav Shimon Ben Yochai's gravesite, and he was davening there until today. That's one of the places that Kali Yisrael goes to daven and goes to be. And he meets Eliyahu Navi there. And he says, Eliyahu, am I going to go to Elam Haba? So Eliyahu Navi says, if the master will want. And the master is the Shechina, the Shechina that was there with them. Okay. Rav says, I only see two of us standing here, but I hear voices of three. And the third voice was the Shechina. Because the two that he saw was Eliyahu Navi and himself. The Shechina was there as well. Okay. Amar Leh. So then Rav Shomalev tells Eliyahu Navi, he says, fine. When is Mashiach going to come already? That's an old question. 
So Rabbi Shua Malevi asks, When's Mashiach going to come? So Yonavi says, Go ask him. Zil <laughs> Go ask him. Why are you asking me? So Rabbi Shua Malevi says, And where is he? Where can I find him? And he says, He's sitting by the gates of Rome. And he's sitting amongst the poor people and the sickly people. And you'll see, he's very sickly. And how am I going to know who he How do you know who he is? He says, because all these sickly people have various bandages and they take out their bandages and they put them in the medicines and they, and they heal themselves. And one of them you'll see that he takes each bandage off one at a time. Takes off the bandage, puts on the medicine, closes it. He doesn't take off more than one at a time. And you should know that's Mashiach. And the reason why he takes it one at a time is because he always wants to be ready that if he's got to go redeem the Yidin, he doesn't want to have to put on three bandages. So he does things one at a time because he's always ready to go. So, so that's what it is. So, so Rabbi went there. And he comes to the gates of Rome and he finds that person and he says, Shalom Aleichem, Rabbi Yomiri. Right? Shalom Aleichem, my teacher, my master. So Mashiach answers him, Amar Lehi, Shalom Aleichem, Bar Levoi. Shalom to you, son of Levi. So he says, Amar Lehi, Le'emas Asimar, when are you coming? Amar Lehi, Hayoim. Today. Hayoim. That was it. That was the end of the conversation. He was very happy. That was a good answer. He goes goes back. And later, at some point later, he meets Eliyahu Anavi again. So Eliyahu says, no, did he see Mashiach? He says, yes. He says, what did he tell you? He says, he told me, Shalom Alecha Bar Levoi. He said, peace unto you, son of Levi. So Eliyahu Anavi said, one thing's for sure. If he said peace unto you, you and your father's name, the one thing's for sure that you and your father are very, uh, you have a, a, a spot in Elam Habo. That's clear from his answer to you. But then Shalom Levi says, but he lied to me. He said he's coming today. And the day passed and it didn't come. So the other Navi said, This is what he said to you. We say it in Davening and Tehillim. We say it Friday night in Davening. It's today if you'll only listen to my words, says Hashem. In other words, what Mashiach was telling him is that at any day Mashiach could come. And that's how we have to see it. It's not like, okay, based on our situation, we got to wait who knows how many years for Mashiach to come. The message of Mashiach to Rishua ben Levi, and as Eliyahu is explaining to him, is that it's Hayoim. At any given day, it could be that day. We got it. We have to make it happen. But it could. We can never. We should never think that it can't be today because of whatever reason. It could be today, and it's up to us to see to do with the, to see to it to do what we can to make sure that it should talk and be today. But all. Why, why did he doubt that he was going to Olam Haba? Why am I supposed to think about myself? <laughs> 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 I mean, Right, right. So that's a question that I don't know the answer to. Um, but we find that by tzaddikim many times, and they're asking it, and there's, there's probably different ways to answer the question. One is that they may be talking about different levels that are way beyond what we understand, or they're trying to teach us a message. Uh, there's different ideas. I don't have what to say about that right now. Okay. I do want to speak, though, about one more... What time is it? Are you actually saying that okay. was here? That in, at any point, there is a person that's ready to go. Because Mashiach has to be able to come any, every single day. We say, Ani ma'amin b'muna shalem, b'v'v'v'as ha-Mashiach, and v'afal b'yishi yismameh, even if we'll wait, achakalo b'chal yom, we wait for him every day, which means that today Mashiach can come. So there was someone there at that time, and he was ready to go. And he said, I'm ready to go today. Today it could happen, if, if we'll be able to. But definitely that didn't come, become less with time, it only becomes that expectancy and waiting. He had the revelation of who it was. Exactly, obviously. exactly. 
exactly. My tambourine's by the door. Mm -hmm. Where are you going? <laughs> okay, I want Wait, to talk. What? Yeah. I want to talk about one other How tremendous sadness in the Gemara, and that is Rabbi Chia. Who was Rabbi Chia? And he was another disciple and colleague of Rabbi, of Rabbi Yudah Anasi. I know from the Sipuri Tzadikim. Okay, and fa fa fascinating things about Rabbi Chia. Um, and this is, he is with an Aleph. Ches, Yud, Yud, Aleph. Um, and he was, as I said, he was a disciple of Rabbi Yudah Anasi. And in fact, Rabbi Yudah Anasi, as I said, wrote the Mishnah. Rabbi Chia immediately started writing and wrote what's called the Tosefta which is mentioned in the Talmud numerous times. Um, and Rav Chia was also a tremendous tzaddik and also tremendously devoted to Klal Yisrael and to teaching Torah to Klal Yisrael, as we're going to see in a couple of points that I'm going to read to you from the Gemara. Um, but one of the things that I, I don't have the Gemara in front of me, and that is that, interestingly, Rav Chia had a uh, debate with Rebbe, even though Rebbe was his teacher. And that is... The Rebbe decreed, he says, I don't want people teaching Torah in the marketplace. Because Torah is Torah, it's Hashem's Torah, it has to be learned with proper purity and proper holiness. So if you're going to teach Torah, teach in a yeshiva, teach in a base madrash, teach in a shul. But not just out of the marketplace. So that's what Rebbe said. But Rebbe didn't listen. And Rebbe says, went out to the marketplace and he found people and he sat down and learned Torah with them. And Rebbe heard, Rebbe was upset. The Rebbe sent a message to Rebbe and he says, Don't you, I'm your Rebbe, right? And I told I said you shouldn't do this. So much so that in Sirk Halacha, when there's a disciple that doesn't listen to his Rebbe, he goes into what's called a partial nidui. A nidui is like a cheirim. So like for 30 days he can't come. So for 30 days Rebbe was banished from the yeshiva. But Rebbe didn't give in. He said, I think the Torah has to be taught wherever there are people who are there. It's like chassidus. The people who aren't going to come. So Rebbe took it outside. And... Later, Rabbi agreed with him. And Rabbi said, you're right. And this was an unusual thing for the Talmud to challenge his Rabbi. But Rabbi Chia felt that he had to go out and teach Torah. That's that. So that's, that's who Rabbi Chia is. Now I'm looking at a Gemara, if you're, if you're writing down uh, sources. This is in the tractate of Baba Metziah on page Peihei 85. You know, I'm reading to you the very interesting pieces of Gemara. Gemara, it's, uh, the majority of Gemara is more halachic. Um, but there are plenty of stories that are uh, sprinkled throughout the Gemara. That's called the Agadita. And the Alter Rebbe writes in Tanya that the majority of the secrets of the Torah are hidden in the Agaditas, in the stories of the Gemara. And the Alter Rebbe was a very big, um, felt very strongly that people should learn Agadita Gemara, the stories the of Gemara. Women and men also. He says, between Minchamarim and Shuls, there should be a shir. The Sefer is called Ein Yaakov. Ein Yaakov is a compilation of the Agadita Gemaras. So that, the, the, the Gemaras that I'm reading to you here from are different Agadita Gemaras. So, the Gemara says the following. It says like this. Reish Lakish, you might remember Reish Lakish from last week. Reish Lakish was the one who started out as a thief. Remember? He was a thief and, he, and Rabbi Yochanan is the one who brought him back to Yiddishkeit and ultimately became his brother-in-law. We discussed that last week. It says, Reish Lakish, one of the things that he did was he would go around and he would make... Um, where to, in the burial places of Sadiqim, he would make a, like, a, it's called a tzion, which is Mark. markings. He would mark off the burial places of the Sadiqim. A, that people should know where the Sadiqim are buried. 
um, it's a place to daven, and also that a coin should know where not to go. So Rishlakish would go to the places. Now, how did he know where the places were? So a lot of it had to do with sensing the spirituality of the place. Um, just like many, many, many years later, the Arizal. The Arizal in Eretz Yisrael would go around and he would stop in a place and say, this is the burial of that tzaddik, because he sensed the neshama connected to that place. So Rishlakish, it says, would go around and he'd find the different places of the Kvarim. And then he came to the cave of Rabchia. And he was looking for it, and he couldn't, he couldn't find it. In other words, he couldn't sense where exactly Rebchia's neshama was. And Rishlakish understood that that meant that he's not able to reach that level. Rebchia's neshama was somehow um, eluding him. He wasn't able to, to grasp the whole onto it. So it says, Cholash date, Rishlakish felt bad. He said, Did I not learn Torah like Rebchia? So I, why am I not able to reach Rav Chia? Why can't I connect to Rav Chia's neshama? So Abbaskal, a heavenly voice, answers and says, he says, no, you learned Torah as much as Rav Chia, but you didn't teach Torah as much as Rav Chia. You weren't as instrumental in teaching and in spreading the Torah like Rav Chia did. What, what was unique about Rav Chia's ways of teaching Torah? And the following story is mentioned in the Gemara in more than one place. And I vividly recall the Rebbe saying this story a number of times. This was a story that the Rebbe felt was a very, very important story, a very powerful story, a lesson. He says the following. Rav Chia had a debate in study with Rav Hanina, another one of the great tzaddikim of the time. Which one? It doesn't say. It does, I, no, it does an earlier generation. It has to be a later Rav Hanina. Rav Hanina is a common name in the Amiroi. Someone else. So... They were arguing. So Rav Hanina told Rav Chia, you're arguing with me? He says, I, I, <laughs> Rav Hanina was a tremendous Talmud Chacham. Everyone knew. He was like the Torah genius par excellence. So Rav Hanina tells Rav Chia, like, I know what I'm talking about. You shouldn't argue with me. He, Rav Hanina says, if the Torah would be forgotten from the Jewish people, I would be able to bring it back just by my own knowledge and study. Rav Hanina was saying about himself. Don't argue with me. If the Torah would be forgotten from everyone, I would be able to restore the whole Torah. So Rav Chia says, maybe, but I caused that the Torah shouldn't be forgotten from the Jewish people. Right? You might be so great that if, if it's forgotten, you could restore it. I, my Aveda caused that the Torah shouldn't be forgotten. What was the Aveda of Rav Chia? So he says, and this is the story, he says Rav Chia went and he planted flax. And it grew, and he made from it traps. And he trapped deer. And he, he had the deer shechted. And he made from the hides parchments. And on the parchments, he wrote Chumashim. And he would go to cities where there was no teachers. You have to remember, this is after the destruction of the second Mishamikdash. This is a time of poverty. It's a time of persecution. There's no yeshivas. So there was this... Thousands of Jewish kids growing up with no, nothing. No Torah. It's very similar to what's going on in a lot of places today. And Reb Chia, the great Tana, would go there and say, I'd bring Chumashim. And I'd bring five children. And I would give each one of them one of the Chumashim that I wrote. And I would have them study it. And then they would teach it to each other. And then I would take other parshas and I'd write the six books of the Mishnah. And I would give it to six boys. And each child would be proficient in one book. And then I'd have them teach them to each other. And that way, he says, I created the Torah is not forgotten by Klal Yisrael. So here we have one of the greatest tzaddikim of his time. What's he involved with? 
planting, trapping, writing in order to teach the Torah to kindle, to, to, to children, Chumash and Mishnayis. And that was Rav Chia. When Rebbe heard of this, Rebbe Huda Anasi, he says, Gidoilim Maisei Chia. The act, the, the mice, the actions of here are the greatest actions that could be. And this is the quote that I, that I mentioned, I heard from the Rebbe by Fabrengi, he says, It doesn't say his greatness was how smart he was, how brilliant he was, how great, how humble he was, how holy he was. His greatness was his total devotion to teaching Torah to Akhlal Yisrael, who could forget it, because they weren't being taught, because they didn't have the yeshivas. And he put himself out there and he got involved in all types of menial labor in order to teach Torah. The Gemara goes on and on. Um, I'm saying just writing it, preparing it, and writing it. Every step of life. the way. So like that's a cup of life. Well, this is where this is where it comes from. <laughs> it's the story of the Gemara. This is where it comes from. So he says like this. He says, "Amar Chaviva." Um, he says one of the Amiroim says. He says I saw one of the Rabbanon. One of the one of the uh, Torah students who was a great tzaddik. That every day he would learn Torah with Eliyahu Hanavi. It was a common thing. The great tzaddik and Eliyahu Hanavi would come from heaven and learn them Torah. So he says, one day I saw in the morning he looked fine, and by night his eyes looked shot, as if they were burnt, like shot, blackened. And I asked him what happened. So he says, when Eliyahu Hanavi was learning with me last night. I asked him to help. I want to see a vision. I want to see the vision of the tzaddikim as they ascend in Gan Eden from one place to another. I want to have a vision of the tzaddikim in Gan Eden. And the Leonov said, okay, I, I'll give you that vision. He says, at everyone you could look, but at one tzaddik you can't look. Rav Chia. Because the Kedusha surrounding Rav Chia is so great. Because of his devotion to Klal Yisrael, that if you look at him, it's going to hurt you. So I allow you to see the tzaddikim in Eden, but not Rav Chia. So he says, so I went, and I looked, and then Rav Chia was passing, and there was big tumult, and I couldn't hold myself back, and I looked. And when I looked, he says, like two uh, like bolts of fire like were coming out of it, and that burned my eyes, and I can't see. And that's why you're seeing me, says this tzaddik, in the morning, I can't see, because my eyes are shut, because I looked where I wasn't allowed to look, because I wasn't able to look. So he says, what should I do? He says, you know what? Go to the kever of Rav Chia. We know a tzaddik, by his kever, go there and daven. So the tzaddik went, Marte, he went to the ma'ara, the, the, uh, the cave where Rav Chia is buried. And he says, he didn't daven, he says, Rav Chia, I learn your Torah every day. Because Rav Chia wrote the Tesefta. And this is one of the sources of the significance of learning the Torah of a tzaddik. And in that way, bringing the schus of the tzaddik to the person. So here the Gemara says that this tzaddik told Rav Chia, he davened and he says, I learn your Torah every day. He davened that his eyes should be healed. And the next day he woke up and his eyes were fine. What happened with Rish Lakish? Did he, was he able to trace the caver of uh, oh, That's a good Chia? question. That's a good question. I don't know. doesn't say. <laughs> that's a good question. I'll finish with one more story over here about Rav Chia. Eliyahu Hanavi would commonly come to the Mesifta, the Yeshiva of Rebbe. Right? One time, it was Rosh Chodesh, like today, and um, Eliyahu Hanavi didn't come. It was taken to, he came late. Okay. Happens all the time in Yeshiva. <laughs> so when he came, he asked him, 
Rebbe asked him, why'd you come late? So he says, because today is Rosh Chedesh, and Avram Avinu Davins, and Yitzchak Avinu Davins, and Yaakov Avinu I was busy. He says, I washed Avram's hands, and Avram Davins, and then I washed Yitzchak's hands, and Yitzchak Davins, I washed Yaakov's hands, and each one, I, you know, I put them back to, you know, so it took time. So Rabbi Huda Nasi asks, he says, why did you have to wake each one up at his own time and daven separately and put them back? Why couldn't you just get them all together and daven together? Right? It takes so long. You have rum and then Yitzchak and then Yaakov and washing. Get them, you know, get everyone ready and wash everyone's hands, let everyone daven. So that's what Rebbe asks Eliyahu So Eliyahu says, no. Because if all of them would daven together, the power would be so straight, strong, the Mashiach would come. And it's not the time. It's not the time. So, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi says, is there anyone in the world today alive who has that koyach of tefillah, that power to daven like the office? So, Eliyahu says, yes. Rabbi and his sons. So, Rebbe calls Rav Chia, and he says, I'm Geyser, I want you and your sons to come daven all together with us in Shul tomorrow morning. Now that he knows who's the, who has the Koyach Hatzvila, I want Rav Chia and his sons to, Rav Chia and his sons never daven together. They have each one in their own place. So I want you to bring all your sons, and you'll daven together. And Rebbe made that day a fast day, so everyone's going to come and daven. And he said, they came to Shul and daven. They started They said, Mashiv Haruach, the wind started blowing. They said, Merit HaGeshem, it started raining. They were about to say, Mechaya HaMesim. Says, the entire world started shaking. The wind, the world, the shul started shaking. In heaven, a voice was heard and said, Who revealed the secret of the power of Tfil of They said, Eliyahu. Eliyahu was brought and punished, whatever his punishment is. So Yehovah was told, you have a mission, you have to go there, you have to disrupt that tefillah. That, that can't happen, Mashiach can't come today. So Yehovah came down and he came into the shul and he was in the form of a beer, uh, an animal, a beer, a fire. And he ran into the shul between the people and the people were disrupted and started running and that was the end of that davening. But that was because the, the tefillah of Chia and his children um, was too powerful and whatever they were saying was happening and it wasn't the time for that to happen. What's Yehovah's Nabi function? Like, what does he do? I mean, he has I know, many functions. He I mean, so what? So he, so, he's involved okay. in the... He's, uh, Leonov is the one side who never, so he never fully died. He, he connects between heaven and earth. And okay. He's the one who's going to tell the coming of Mashiach. That's why it's him. And that's why he's the one, whether it's a bris, whether it's a kesher leo, by a seder, when, and all the different listen, you, you always find Leonov is the most common name of a person, of a tzaddik or a malach or whatever that shows up. Throughout the Gemara, throughout, throughout Yiddishkeit, connects to Rukhnis and Gashmis. Anyhow, so these are a couple of stories of some of these great tzaddikim who are these Bali HaMesayra that we've been learning about and they're the ones who t- teach Torah. And as, we've, as the point that I'm trying to make here is that their ultimate greatness, um, of course, was their holiness and their knowledge and so on, but more than anything was their devotion to Torah and the devotion to Klal Yisrael and the devotion to see to it that that Torah that Hashem gave us by Har Sinai 3,325 years ago, whatever, something like that, um, or 30 years ago, should uh, be brought down from generation to generation. And that's the tzaddikim throughout all the deiris that brought that to us. And um, it's our schus to be in the receiving end of that, of that Torah that that's been handed to us, of course, from Hashem, 
that brought to us from Sadiqim, generation to generation. And until very soon in Mitzvah Shem, we'll actually be able to see all these Sadiqim again with the coming of Mashiach. May it be a core of Mamash. Amen.